0: Chapter 6 of Beau Brocade by Baroness Emma ORXY This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. A Squire of High Degree. The Chaloners claimed direct descent from that Sir de Chaloner who escorted Cor de Lyon to the crusade against Saladin. Be that as it may, there is no doubt that A. de Chalonier figures in the Domesday book as owning considerable property in the neighborhood of the Peak. That they had been very influential and wealthy people at one time, there could be no doubt. There was a room at old Hartington Manor where James I., had slept for seven nights, a gracious guest of Mr. Ilbert Challoner in the year 1612. The baronetcy then conferred upon the family dates from that same year, probably as an act of recognition to his host on the part of the royal guest. Since that memorable time, however, the Challoners have not made history. They took no part whatever in the great turmoil which, in the middle of the seventeenth century, shook the country to its very foundations, lighting the lurid torch of civil war, setting brother against brother, friend against friend, threatening a constitution, and murdering a king. The challoners had held aloof throughout all that time, intent on preserving their property and in amassing wealth. The later conflict between a Catholic king and his Protestant people touched them even less. Neither pretender could boast of a challoner for an adherent. They remained people of substance, even of importance, in their own county but nothing more. Sir Humphrey Chaloner was about this time not more than thirty-five years of age. Hale, hardy, boisterous, he might have been described as a typical example of an English squire of those days, but for a certain taint of parsimoniousness, of greed, and love of money in his constitution, which had gained for him a not too enviable reputation in the Midlands. He was thought to be wealthy, no doubt he was, but at the cost of a good deal of harshness towards the tenants on his estates, and he was famed throughout Staffordshire for driving a harder bargain than any one else this countryside any traveller let alone one of such consequence as the squire of hardington was indeed rare in these out-of-the-way parts that were on the way to nowhere sir humphrey himself was but little known in the neighborhood of Aldwark and Worksworth, and only from time to time passed through the latter village on his way to Derby. John Stitch, the blacksmith, however, knew every one of consequence for a great many miles around, and undoubtedly next to the earls of Stretton, the challoner's were the most important family in the sister counties. Therefore, when Sir Humphrey's coach stopped at the crossroads and the squire himself alighted therefrom and walked towards the smith's cottage, the latter came forward with all the deference due to a personage of such consequence, and asked respectfully what he might do for his honor. "'Only repair this pistol for me, Master Smith,' said Sir Humphrey. "'You might also examine the lock of its fellow. One needs them in these parts.' He laughed, a not unpleasant, boisterous laugh, as he handed a pair of silver-mounted pistols to John Stitch. "'Will your honour wait while I get them done?' asked John, with some hesitation. "'They won't take long.' "'Nay, i'll be down this way again to-morrow replied his honor i am putting up at aldwark for the night john said nothing probably he mistrusted the language which rose to his lips at this announcement of sir humphrey's plans in a moment he remembered lady patience's look of terror when the squire's coach first came into view on the crest of the distant hill, and his faithful, honest heart quivered with apprehension at the thought that a man whom she so obviously mistrusted was so close upon her track. I suppose there is a decent inn in that godforsaken hole, eh? asked the squire jovially. I've arranged to meet my man of business there, that old scarecrow, midichip, but I'd wished to spend the night. There's only a small wayside inn, your honor, murmured John. Better than this abode of cutthroats, this brassing moor, anyway, laughed his honor. Begad night overtook me some ten miles from hartington and i was attacked by a damned rascal who robbed me of fifty guineas my men were a pair of cowards and i was helpless inside my coach John tried to repress a smile. The story of Sir Humphrey Chaloner's midnight adventure had culminated in fifty guineas being found in the poor box at Brassington Courthouse, and Mr. Inch, the Beadle, had brought the news of it even as far as the crossroads. "'I must see Squire West about this business,' muttered Sir Humphrey." Whilst John stood silent, apparently intent on examining the pistols, tis a scandal to the whole country, this constant highway robbery on Brassing Moor. The impudent rascal who attacked me was dressed like a prince and rode a horse worth eighty guineas at the least. I suspect him to be the man they call Beau Brocade. Did your honor see him plainly? asked John somewhat anxiously. See him? laughed Sir Humphrey. Does one ever see these rascals? Begad! He had stopped my coach, plundered me, and galloped off, ere I could shout, Damn you! thrice. Just for one moment, though, one of my lanterns flashed upon the impudent thief. He was masked, of course, but I tell thee, honest friend, he had on a coat the Prince of Wales might envy. As for his horse, t'was a thoroughbred I'd have given eighty guineas to possess. And every one knows your honor is clever at a bargain," said John, with a suspicion of malice. Humph! grunted the squire. By gad! he added, with his usual jovial laugh, the rogue does not belie his name, Beau Brocade. Forsooth! Faith! He dresses like a lord and cuts your purse with an air of gallantry, and he were doing you a favor. It was difficult to tell what went on in Sir Humphrey Challoner's mind behind that handsome, somewhat florid face of his. The task was, in any case, quite beyond the powers of honest John Stitch, though he would have given quite a good deal of his worldly wealth to know for certain whether his honour's journey across Brassing Moor and on to Aldwark had anything to do with that of Lady Patience along this same road. Nothing the squire said, however, helped John towards making a guess in that direction. Just as Sir Humphrey, having left the pistols in the smith's hands, turned to go back to his coach, he said quite casually, Whose was the coach that passed here about half an hour before mine? The coach, your honor? Ay. when we reached the crest of the hill my man told me he could see a coach standing at the crossroads. Whose was it? For one moment John hesitated. The situation was just a little too delicate for the worthy smith to handle, but he felt as Sir Humphrey was going to Aldwark, and therefore would surely meet Lady Patience, that lying would be worse than useless, and might even arouse unpleasant suspicions. "'Twas Lady Patience, Gascoigne's coach,' he said at last. "'Ah,' said the squire, with the same obvious indifference, "'whither did she go? I was at work in my forge, Your Honor, and her ladyship did not stop.' I fancy she drove down Worksworth Way, but I did not see or hear, for I was very busy. Hum, commented his honor, whilst a shrewd and somewhat sarcastic smile played round the corners of his full lips. I'll stay the night at Aldwark he said, nodding to the smith, Faith, no more travelling after dark for me on this unhallowed moor, and for sure my horses could not reach worksworth now before nightfall. So have the pistols ready for me by seven o'clock to-morrow morning, eh, mine honest friend? Then he entered his carriage, and slowly with many a creak and a groan the cumbersome vehicle turned down the road to aldwark whilst john stitch with a dubious anxious sigh went back into his forge chapter six